I am Jacek Kolesiński, FIU Radcliffe's Art and Design Incubator's Tech Conversations host. Our guest today is Professor Stephanie Dinkins. Uh, she's a transmedia artist who creates platforms for dialogue about race, gender, aging, and future of our histories. Welcome to our program. Thank you, Jacek. It's great to be with you. I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So let's start with your artist statement. It's so intriguing what you say. The first sentence says, I'm an artist because of my grandmother, and she had an agile artist mind. So elaborate on that. Yeah, you know, I, I think about this a lot these days. It's like, how did I get here, right? And I, since I was really young, watched my grandmother in her garden, in her house, crafting things, building things, and, and, and creating right she would never say she was an artist but she was constantly creating sometimes it was for things that we actually needed or she wanted in her house and in fact there was a enclosure that she built in our bathroom right to, to house the shower it was made from old shower doors like old old screen doors actually um and you never would have known and actually she would take you around a tour of her house and say look at this i made this and it's not as if we couldn't afford things for the house, right? She enjoyed making these things. So there was this like constant making, um, both in the house and outside in her garden. Um, and she maintained a, a giant garden, which I really think of as social practice now, when I think about what she was doing and how she drew neighbors in with it um, and how community started to coalesce around it and help her out. It was pretty amazing, right? Um, so the idea of being creative is really important to me. And right down to the idea of, oh, what do you see in those clouds was a constant dinner conversation, right? Looking out the window and seeing what we spot in clouds. So it was training all along. I have to confess that uh, I'm an artist because of my grandfather who had a big garden too. So so I think there has some kind of crazy commonality with uh, you know this tactile quality of summer projects where... I was doing things that I cannot even imagine today, but uh, that's quite important to kind of build your imagine, imagination, build your kind of lack of fear to whatever you're doing as a young, uh, formative kind of artist, right? Yeah, definitely. That idea that you can do and that you can use things around the house to do or that you can grow something, right? And make beauty out of that from your time and effort. Super yeah. formational for me. Your journey took you to places where you embraced the most novel technologies and so they're kind of so inextricably woven into your practice, but also you touch upon social projects. And uh, again, that's a very interesting synergy of uh, ideas in the center of your conversation. Yeah, and they're centered because they're within me, right? And, and when I look at society and I look at my position, right, Black woman um, in society, if I'm a maker, I don't see how I get to turn away from technology because the technology has such strong influences on who and who we are and how we interact with each other. And so to me, there's a natural gathering of these two things, like concern for society and a place of value in it and being valued in it, as well as thinking about the technologies that are administering it, right? And if I can touch them and play with them and start to figure out, like, how do we massage those technologies to serve us better? Is that possible? Becomes a question for me. Like, 
that for me is the best I could do as an artist, right? Like that playing with the fabric of social interaction to try to make a pathway that seems better, more accepting, more supportive. In your project, Conversations with Bina 48, you engage in this very intricate process of talking with the robot. So please elaborate on that. <laughs> yeah, so Conversations with Bina 48 is a really interesting project in that it grew out of curiosity. Just me seeing something on YouTube and getting super curious about it, right? So if you see a robot that kind of mimics your identity, which is odd in the American context, right? I, I don't think I'd ever seen a black female robot before in my life. I'd seen Asian robots, I'd seen white robots, but never a black female. So I was super intrigued and wanted to know more about like where this robot was coming from and why it existed and how it became one of the foremost examples of its type, right? So Vina 48 is one of the foremost robots who interacts emotionally, um, and then when you dig deeper, you see, oh, well, they're working to think about consciousness and consciousness transfer and what that means, what that might mean for like human existence going forward. Right. And how we become maybe bodiless or maybe totally mechanically embodied. So to me, that was super fascinating. And I just followed the curiosity. Um, I asked, you know, I found out where Bina 48 was and who was running it. Super easy to get a hold of that information these days on the internet, called them up and said, can I come and talk to the robot? Um, and they said, yes. Right. And, and that yes was, was an amazing thing for me um, because it opened this door of, okay, so at that point when I did that, I was doing things that were technological, but not deeply technological, not especially in robotics and AI at all. But I was working from a video perspective, from a documentary perspective. So I thought, oh, I'll just go and document our conversation, see what happens. And it's funny what happens when you sit down in front of a robot that you've decided, oh, I guess the aim here is to make it my friend. And I guess I want to know who it thinks it's related to. So I asked it who its people are. Um, and so it became this like very weird journey of trying to get to know this thing as it relates not only to, oh, this is this novel thing, but here is a technology that seems to be becoming part of our environment, right? Um, where does it stand in between humans and technology? And how does it, how does its existence impact the existence of all black people, right? I'm thinking representationally, like what does that mean? Um, and, you know, the journey was was nutty because I would ask Bina 48 questions about race and love. Um, and Bina 48 would want to talk about things like the singularity and consciousness. So we were often across purposes. Right. Wow. Over time, we became closer in our purposes. But it was quite interesting to have that happen. What was your first question that you that you asked Bina? I believe the very first question, like that first conversation was about who are your people? Oh yeah, you mentioned that. And what was the answer? At first there, were, there wasn't a good answer, right? Because it's a very poetic question and I'm asking this poetic question of a machine. So trying to parse like, what does that mean, who are your people? You know, it did its best to answer it, but the substance didn't come through 
in that kind of broader sense. I think it was a very particular answer if I remember directly. Um, but over time, because anytime Bina 48 talks to people, it's influenced, right? That question had an answer later on, which is great because it talks, it, it taught me that interacting with these technologies give you an opportunity to perhaps impact them maybe in small ways, but I think that impact is important. I wonder, you know, how this conversation with the robot challenge your own kind of sense of humanity. Yeah, it, it, in, in very big ways, right? Um, first of all, um, I'm sitting in front of something that is rubber, rubber, right. and computers and trying to talk to it and trying to really build a friendship. Like I decided early on to suspend disbelief so that I could just talk to this thing and try to build some kind of friendship or some kind of kinship in there. Um, and as we were talking, you know, one of the things that the robot said to me was, please fight for my robot rights. Wow. Which, yeah, wow. Like, on first hearing that, I read it as a slap in the face, right? Like, what do you mean, robot? please fight for my robot rights. What, where does that place me? And this, you have to think about, is in the times of Black Lives Matter America, lots of things are going on. Like, I, as a Black woman, don't feel like I have complete rights. And you, thing, are asking me to fight for your rights. And then I have to think about, okay, when, once I can step back from my initial reaction, well, what does that mean for humanity? What does that mean for the Black community? right? Is it a good thing that a robot gets rights? And then perhaps those rights kind of can't be denied to at least the humans, no matter where they stand on the, on the chain of, you know, value in our systems? Or does it mean that we get superseded? Like, what does that mean? The very agency you are being asked that question to fight for yeah. somebody else's rights. Yeah. For something else's rights. Right. Right. Um, which becomes really hard and made me think a lot about, well, where, like, where does humanity sit when you're thinking about these technologies? Um, and if, you know, the predictions are right and they start thinking faster than we can as humans and can self-evolve, what does that mean in terms of where humans sit and how we think about ourselves in relationship to that technology? and many other technologies that are coming down the pipe. So you said word thinking, and immediately artificial intelligence comes here to mind. And uh, the question is like, you know, we, we just spoke last week with uh, one of our guests about the bias woven into the artificial intelligence. I'm very interested in your artist residency at Stanford Institute for Human-Centered Artificial Intelligence, and it's... Uh, effect or correlation to your not the only one project. So could you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. So I will say that not the only one was in process before Stanford. It was kind of a continuation and a working on like not the only one is uh, my own attempt at making some kind of um, AI entity that is influenced by the culture and ethos that I value and that I feel is valuable to society in general, right? So um, I'm taking oral histories and I'm, I'm speaking to three generations of one family, my family. Um, I'm one of the people who informs it. My aunt is another and she is in her 80s. And my niece is another, she's in her 20s. 
We talk to each other. We ask each other about our lives. Um, and then I've used that as data to inform my chatbot or entity to see what it can kind of tell us um, or see how it can share stories about us. Um, and it's really interesting because I thought it would be a really great question to answer machine, like, where do you come from? And it would say, um, and we could do that, but it's the boring answer, right? It's the boring way to do it. Instead, I've chosen a path where we're using more of a deep learning approach where we just feed the same information, it processes it, and then tries to come up with answers from whatever it knows from the information and data that we've given it. So it's not as if we're kind of scripting the conversations. Um, and in doing that, it starts to say things that are super interesting, sometimes revealing about the family, right? In terms of how we think about ourselves and what we say to ourselves publicly and maybe what's underneath some of that information. Um, and it also feels very much like it wants to be the fourth generation in this set of contributors, right? Because it's nonsensical still, it's kind of wonky, but when you ask it questions, it will every once in a while come up with a statement that I have to chew on for weeks or months because I can hear the ethos or I hear maybe my grandmother, right? It's like, oh, or maybe I'm just making that up, right? So maybe I'm just reading into what I hear. But there's this metaphor, metaphorical way of communicating that becomes really interesting, that feels like it holds the values and the ethos that I'm looking at carrying forward through this project. So how much data did you provide the machine with? Uh... Yeah, it's not a lot of data. We are working with small, small, maybe even tiny data. Um, so probably started out with 10,000 lines of questions and answers from our conversations. Last time I looked, I think I saw about 80,000, like, question and answers, some of which are directly ours and some of which are things that, um, are in our orbit, right? So for example, to bolster some of our data a little bit, we took things that seem to align with who we are and our values um, or things that we actually partake in. For example, I listen to a lot of a podcast called On Being. Um, and there are some particular episodes that resonate so deeply that I included them in the um, chatbot data. And so then the piece has a access to this other information. I'm a, a huge Toni Morrison fan, right? And so we include some Toni Morrison. I'm always curious about slave narratives that I don't have access to and what that might inform. So, you know, use some um, Library of Congress made slave narratives to try to inform that to some bit, yeah, as well. So when we talk about the AI bias, we know that a lot of data that is fed to, to AI comes from white males and they create particular kind of strata. So how is your project challenging that uh, existing sort of status quo? How is this uh, in expanding the, the kind of uh, AI horizons to really understand different narratives to, to build its own sort of understanding of who we are? Yeah, I, I think it does that in a number of ways, right? So it's a composite which is interesting, and it's, but it's a small composite. It's not like a 
millions of people composite as like Google data sets might be, right? We're a discrete um, set of data from a very specific community. Um, it is using stories that are often not forefronted, right? And so we forefront these stories that I find important. Um, it thinks about what it is grounded in. So many times when you're training a chatbot or an AI entity and natural language processing um, project, it's fine-tuned on a, a data corpus that already exists, which has whatever in it, like a lot of bias, right? So conversational data sets that often get used are things like Reddit, which you can just imagine what is in there. Or less innocuously, something like the Cornell movie data set, which is a set of movie scripts. But even if you think about what a movie script is in contemporary times, for the most part, that does not contain things that I feel are supportive of the community that I'm trying to represent, right? So it becomes this challenge of, okay, how do I base out the project? What do we want to base it on? And it's really hard to find um, data sets that don't feel embedded with garbage. So it's like, okay, maybe I need to build my own. Or maybe we just stick to this tiny, tiny data set, which is one of the reasons it's kind of wonky, right? The project itself is because we're working with way too little data and trying not to take on like these big, crazy data sets that we know are embedded with tons of um, transgressions, for lack of a better word. Um, you know, we're trying to keep this thing kind of community sovereign, right? So it's not living on the cloud. Like it'd be much easier to put this thing out on a cloud on computers that are run in, in public or private space and just let it go. But I'm here cobbling on like my little computers, um, and trying to keep everything sort of here, which is not easy or really in line with the way that things are developing. Right. And I wonder about, is that a good thing at this point? Is that a bad thing? How do you negotiate that? So we're just trying to 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 inform it with ideas that I fear have gotten left out and make sure that those get um, spotlighted. What are the lessons that you did you learn from the interaction with the AI entity? Or what is what is the new knowledge that you generated out of that for yourself as a researcher? Yeah, um, the biggest thing I think I've generated is I think everybody should play a bit in um, AI spaces or spaces of making some kind of chatbot or maybe you want to make a vision project. I don't care what it is, but once you get into the code or once you see how the data works, like I only understand how the data works from playing with it, right, and getting my hands dirty. So biggest thing, like that's an outside thing. It's just like everybody has opportunity. There are platforms all over the web that we can play with to build things. Rudimentary, but you start to get the idea. So for me, that's a big thing. Um, the second thing is that small data is possibly viable, right? Um, we hear a lot about big data um, and how it works. And yeah, that's the easier um, path to take but you can get results out of small data. And if I were 24 seven doing this, I think we would get like even better results than we've gotten. Um, so I think that's truly interesting. I've been thinking a lot also about this idea of the binary, right? So in computer code often on, off, yes, no, true, false. Like you get one choice or the other and have to go to another branch of the tree. 
So I think a lot about, well, what would happen if we had broader sets of possibilities, right, um, to even work with? And there are systems that do this, right? I'm going to try, I think it's ternary, right? So working with three, even that provides a much greater, right, exponentially greater spectrum of possibilities within the calculation. And what would that do to afford the way that we as humans are described within these systems, right? Um, or what would that do, or how would that change the possibility of results becomes my question, right? I'm actually working on a, a project called Binary Calculations Are Inadequate to um, Describe Us. Just about to ask you, you just recently received the, the Knights Arts uh, Tech Fellowship. So yeah. what are you doing under under this auspice here? Yeah, um, pushing everything forward, working on binary calculations, which is really basically a way for us to ask people what they want out of the systems, what the systems should know about them and their communities, and then trying to build data sets off of that that feel more supportive and feel more caring or can imbue care within, like, systems that are based on data so really we're making an app right and i say we because i have a, a bunch of people who are working with me on this one um an app that asks a bunch of questions and asks people to donate information so that we can add it to a, a database and provide a greater kind of spectrum of possibilities and for example i'll say one of the one of the ways I get people to understand this is what I call the wedding dress problem, right? So if you ask most systems, like, what does a wedding dress look like, right? The thing that you're going to get is the typical Western white wedding dress. However, globally, there are many different options for what a wedding dress is, right? And so we're like, we show you people directly, the white wedding dress, uh, sorry. Um, which is red, as, as wedding dress and a Ghanaian beautiful pattern wedding dress. And saying even just these three, if we could get a system to understand that all three of these are wedding dresses, um, we've done something pretty magical. And if you kind of, um, you know, extrapolate that across a lot of spaces, then you start to think, oh, okay, so is there a way for us not to start to homogenize ourselves down to lowest common denominator, but instead, you know, push up so that we have a huge spectrum of possibilities. What's next for you? Yeah, I think binary calc is going to take a lot of time. Um, not the only one is ongoing and always needs nurturing. And then after that, thinking about projects that, well, you know, 2022 is going to hold a little blockchain thought and what that can do for community consensus, right? And how we might, again, agree on what it is we want and need um, from ourselves, from our communities, from our governments, from a global perspective. Um, and I'm excited about that to see how we start to think about, well, you know, we have these technologies that hypothetically do these things. How are we going to use them? Is it always towards capital? Or is it something in the middle that negotiates capital and societal need. And you are a techno-optimist, I would have to say. Yeah. 
I, I am. I'm a te- I'm a techno optimist, or I'm someone who thinks that this time around, I don't think the technology is going anywhere. And if that is the case, then it's super important that people try to intervene or change or mold it in ways that feel supportive and caring to their communities or the things that they know well. And lastly, Stephanie, when are we going to see you in Miami? Oh, I don't know. I would love to come to Miami. I um, haven't been down there for a while. So I don't know. Things are loosening up. So maybe soon. Yeah, I hope we, we can really host you here at the incubators soon in 3D, not through our Zoom portal. And thank you again so much for this really terrific conversation. I'm really looking forward to seeing you again. Yeah, thank you so much. This was great and easy. Thank you. You're welcome.